Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. It's been two years since a new North American trade deal went into effect. This week, we look at how it's changed the work of importing and exporting goods in Arizona. On July 1, 2020, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement, the USMCA, took the place of its predecessor, the North American Free Trade Agreement, or NAFTA, as the federal rules governing free trade between the continent's three largest countries. Roughly $30 billion in goods moves across the border between Arizona and Mexico each year, with products ranging from the fresh produce that heads from Mexican farms to U.S. plates to high-tech electronics that move back and forth across the border as planes and cars are assembled into finished products. To get an understanding of imports and exports as a whole, we spoke with Luis Ramirez, president of Ramirez Advisors International, a firm that works on cross-border business and economic development issues. He also consults for the Arizona-Mexico Commission. I wish there was a a simple answer, but it's it's a, a change, or I guess the expansion of a system, uh, which started with the NAFTA agreement. You know, now twenty five plus years old, which was um, updated and expanded in some ways with the USMCA, the United States Mexico Canada Agreement. But I, I think uh, amongst the the many, I'm not sure that there are changes, but perhaps some reaffirmations, is that for companies that operate within the three signatory countries, there continues to be a what I'll call a preferred uh, treatment, a preferred relationship, a preferred opportunity for those companies. And for Arizona and for Arizona companies, uh, one, Governor Ducey and the state of Arizona were amongst the, the leaders in advocating for the ratification of the USMCA but I think secondly, and perhaps even more importantly, was a recognition that Arizona is strategically located to be one of the amongst the biggest beneficiaries of the USMCA and everything that it affords. Um, it's a trade agreement in its simplest terms that eliminates tariffs and duties between the signatory members, which means that if I'm an Arizona-based company and I want to sell it to Mexico and Canada, more than likely my product is going to go duty-free to one of those two markets. But secondly, one of the things that I think is overlooked is the protections that are afforded to those companies under the auspices, under the umbrella of the USMCA itself, assurances that if should a country, you know, nationalize an entire sector or industry, you're not going to simply lose your assets or your companies or your whatever you have invested in, there is a mechanism by which those companies would be compensated should that happen, in addition to a series of other provisions that are part of the USMCA. When it comes to comparing the USMCA to its predecessor, NAFTA, is USMCA doing what it was supposed to do? Now, granted, I know we have a shorter period of time we're dealing with than with NAFTA, as you said, 25 years. <laughs> we're only about a year into this, into the USMCA. Uh, but yeah, I, I think there is a ways to measure this. Um, and perhaps more significantly, it's been the, the outcomes of what we see on the ground. The USMCA, again, the reaffirmation of this unique partnership between the United States, Canada, and Mexico, 
um, creates a block. You know, when we are, we have to approach it as a block because we're competing with other parts of the world, other blocks in the world, China, perhaps its own block in and of itself. But what we're seeing on the ground is because of USMCA, when you combine that with whether it's logistics challenges, supply chain issues, the US-China trade relationship, which is not in the best of, of grounds, when you have USMCA that creates this very friendly, very pro-business environment amongst the three signatories, you're now seeing companies, U.S. companies that were manufacturing in China or other locations. And if they want to sell their product here in North America, they are now reshoring that. The second thing we're seeing is if there were Chinese companies that were selling into the North American market, they're subject to a 25% tariff because of the current U.S.-China trade war. Um, they also look at a USMCA agreement and they go, listen, if, I, if I'm a Chinese company and I want to sell into North America, I need to be in North America. So we're also seeing Chinese companies saying, hey, if I want to sell into North America and if I want to leverage the advantages of USMCA, I better be on the ground somewhere in the USMCA. That has meant uh, tremendous opportunities for Mexico with new opportunities, but it also we've all we're also seeing it in U.S. and in Canada as well. We're seeing some of that in Arizona, aren't we, with uh, chip manufacturers and things like that up in Maricopa County, especially. Just between Intel and Taiwan Semiconductor, I think the last tally that I saw was like thirty-three to thirty-six billion dollars worth of investment just on those two companies alone. But it, I, I don't just want to focus on those two companies. It's all the second, third tier companies that are coming along with them that need to be somewhere in close proximity because one of the morals of the last two and a half years of the pandemic, you need to shorten your supply chain. You can't be relying on a supply chain that is, you know, 3,000, 5,000, 10,000, well, maybe not 10,000, but seven, 8,000 miles away you know, relying on a very cumbersome logistics process that has become very expensive. So those companies are saying if Taiwan Semi and Intel are making these mega investments, I need to be within close proximity, maybe not necessarily next door, but probably within a three, five, six, eight hour drive by truck to get my products, you know, that I'm a vendor or supplier to one of those companies. We're seeing that actively, not, not, just, not, not just with chip manufacturing, we're seeing in the automotive space, we're seeing in the aerospace, and in the automotive, we're seeing it particularly in what we're considering next generation automotive, which is electric vehicles. And of course, Arizona, thanks to tremendous efforts by the governor, we're also seeing the automated vehicle development that is happening. So we're, we're in the leading edge of that automotive sector development regionally. I will add, that some of those automotive sector investments have also looked at the binational aspect of the Arizona Sonora region. For instance, Lucid, Manu Lucid Automotive, and they have this million square foot facility in Casa Grande. You know, two, three of their key suppliers are located in the Hermosillo area in Sonora. You mentioned things coming back and forth across the Arizona Mexico border. We saw between 2019 and 2020 a drop in imports Mexico to Arizona. 2020 to 2021, they seemed to rebound. 
was that people getting used to USMCA? Was it COVID? Was it something else? Was it all of the above? All of the above and then some. Um, and in fact, we're now looking at the data for the first six months of 2022. So January through June of 22, compared to the same period of 2021, trade with Mexico is up by 6.1%. Our exports to Mexico did drop by, I think it's 2.1%. The Arizona-Mexico relationship continues to be dynamic. It continues to be a, a generator of investment. It continues to be a generator of jobs. And I would even add that because we were having a conversation about USMC, our trade relationship with Canada continues to blossom. Arizona's trade with Canada went up by 5.8%. It is now over $2.5 billion for the first six months of this year. And most people don't think of Arizona and Canada because we're the width of the U.S. apart as having any relation. Mexico is the obvious one. And yes, the relationship with Mexico is the largest. You know, our trade with Mexico for the first six months did exceed 10 billion, up about 600 million compared to the same period of last year. But again, we have a unique strategic location, a unique relationship with Canada. But one advantage that we have is we have tremendous air connectivity between Arizona and Canada. We have thousands of visitors that come down escaping the Canadian winters, coming down and enjoying the incredible weather here in Arizona. And when they come and visit, what we're seeing is they don't just come and visit and go back. They come and visit and they go, hey, it's a great place to do business, great place to live. And we're now seeing well over 500 Canadian companies that have either relocated or expanded their operations to Arizona. And many of them are using you know, Canadian companies investing in Arizona and using Arizona as a beachhead to get into the Mexican market. Talking about the increases you mentioned in imports over the last or the first six months of this year, the data we have is, as you said, they're up. The worst month year over year change was February at 12 percent, where March saw a year over year 34 percent increase. To me and a lot of our listeners who are laymen, those are big numbers. But to you, who's an expert, are those big numbers? Who, who am I to say what's a big number, what's a small number? What I think it's important to recognize is, is the dynamic relationship that we have. Uh, we were talking to importers uh, of Mexican fresh produce in Nogales. Um, Nogales is the gateway for about six and a half, six point six, six point seven billion pounds of fresh produce each year. At the same time, we have manufacturing uh, products, we have uh, medical, we have automotive, we have electronics, and we haven't even talked about the mining sector. These are all areas of tremendous opportunity. So we may, you know, I, I just, you know, gave you data for the past six months of this year compared to last year. Those are very short time periods. We have to look at the long-term trends, and I remain extremely bullish in the opportunity that Arizona has. Um, one area that I'll mention of opportunity is not necessarily just trade, but the governor of Sonora, Governor Durazo, has announced a number of major infrastructure projects and investments in Sonora. Well, that, that means there's opportunity for Arizona companies, everything from architectural, engineering, construction, and then the supply that is required for those uh, projects. Those are all opportunities that are literally just across the border, you know, 60, 80 miles from where you're sitting right now. 
tremendous opportunity, very dynamic. I, I don't want to focus on just one number for one month. I, I, I need to look at the whole picture. And I think the whole picture is extremely optimistic. All right. Well, thanks for spending some time with us. Happy to in any time. That was Luis Ramirez, president of Ramirez Advisors International. You're listening to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week, we're examining the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement and how it's impacted Arizona businesses in the past two years since it went into effect. Nearly $4 billion worth of fresh fruits and vegetables crossed into Arizona from Mexico in 2021. For some of that produce, its first stop was SunFed, a produce importer based in Rio Rico, just north of Nogales. Matt Mandel is SunFed's vice president of finance and legal. He says that for the most part, the differences between the USMCA and its predecessor, NAFTA, lie outside of the produce industry. The biggest improvement, if you will, with moving from NAFTA to the USMCA is that uh, there was a lot of uncertainty when there was talk of renegotiating an agreement that seemed to have worked very well for you know 25 years so whenever there is uncertainty it's going to affect business it's going to affect people's desire to invest or grow or go outside of their comfort zone if you will if nothing else the passage of usmca and the renewal of the trilateral agreement really allowed people to get back to business and and focus on the not just the core of their business, but uh, looking to the future. Of course, USMCA went into effect two years ago, pandemic, about two years ago. With those two things combined, what did the last two years look like for a business like yours? The word uncertainty definitely comes to mind. When the pandemic first began or you know, started to uh, have ripple effects throughout the economy in general. You know, one of the first things that happened is, you know, restaurants shut down. Restaurants and, and, and food service uh, happens to be a key part of the food industry. So when that shut down, an entire segment of customers essentially disappeared. We were very fortunate in that they did not represent an outsized portion of our customer base individually. However, there are several companies here in town that were, you know, 60 to 70 percent food service based. So, you know, dealing with, again, the uncertainty of what comes next as the economy began to reopen, as restaurants began to serve customers in person again, there were breaths of life. However, as we've seen with the different spikes uh, of <laughs> the pandemic, um, there was a lot of uh, start and stop and two steps forward, one step back. The agreement, the USMCA, in effect, while it's in place, we don't necessarily know under quote unquote normal circumstances whether or not it's going to act exactly as NAFTA had, or if there will be some unforeseen consequences that uh, we will have to adjust to. You know, if nothing else, this industry has been extremely quick to adapt, very nimble. Uh, So whatever those um, 
issues may be that come up, I, I have a feeling we'll be, we'll be quick to adapt to them. But, you know, we don't know what we don't know. Looking at the numbers from the Arizona-Mexico Commission, they say imports are up. But then looking at agricultural imports, they seem pretty flat. Is that just a case of, especially on, on the Mexican side, you can only plant so much, you can only pick so much, or is something else going on? So the, the agricultural imports through Arizona have been essentially flat. Well, there's, there's been you know, small single-digit growth over the, the last few years. However, um, a lot of it is due to a logistical shift yeah, as fuel prices have gone through the roof. Um, availability of freight has gone down. There were several truck drivers that essentially just went into retirement during the pandemic, and a lot of those seats have yet to be refilled. So as we're dealing with you know freight rates that could be anywhere from 60 to 100% higher than they were just three years ago, a lot of agricultural imports are actually shifting to Texas, trying to feed the population base east of the Mississippi River. And, you know, we all know two-thirds of the United States lives east of the Mississippi. So uh, trying to gain those freight miles within Mexico, crossing product through Texas and then delivering to the East Coast. Uh, you know, the agricultural exports as a whole uh, are growing. They're just not necessarily growing here in Nogales. You mentioned Texas Earlier this year, Governor Abbott decided to add additional inspections for products coming across the border into Texas. We heard anecdotally, oh, we're just going to move all that to Arizona. Reality, did it happen? There was a shift in crossings from Texas to Arizona in a very small way. Thankfully, it was time-bound to about a week to 10 days before the situation in Texas, we'll say, worked itself out. But during that time, there definitely was a, a spike in crossings here in Nogales. It did create somewhat of a log jam of trucks here at the border. Thankfully, as I mentioned, short-lived, and you know, we're hoping that some of that traffic will remain here. However, just logistically within Mexico, the natural crossing point for a lot of that product is through Texas. Yeah, you all are working with a time-sensitive product. You're not working with car parts, which could also be time-sensitive for a factory. But if the produce spoils, that's no good. We, we specialize in trying to extend the shelf life of the products that we do carry. However, as you mentioned, you know, on a good day, we have one to two days of transit from the time it is harvested till the time it reaches us may sit in our warehouse for a day or two before it gets on an outbound truck and then yeah, our, our farthest customer here there's about seven to eight days of over-the-road transit to their warehouse so you know we're talking once you add it all up you could be two weeks from harvest before that uh, product even reaches a consumer's home so any delay you know it, it's very quick um, the damages that result from any delay are very quick to add up we keep hearing from the federal government and from the state there's money coming for port improvement. 
it is port improvement needed because Mariposa is relatively new. Douglas is old. They're going to work on that one. But are port improvements really needed for your business? Uh, absolutely. The, obviously, there's going to be diminishing gains over time with, with port improvements. However, I think the the one part of port improvements that does not get enough attention is the staffing. Realistically, people think about the actual infrastructure, the buildings, the roadways, and it, there's definitely room for improvement there. However, if we're looking at Mariposa as, as an example, you know, $200 million project, tons of new infrastructure, and yet if you're running at 60 to 70% capacity in terms of people, boots on the ground to process passengers and cargo, you know, it, I don't want to say it's all for naught, but there's definitely room for improvement. When it comes to the agriculture coming across the border, have we seen a change in demand? As you said, two-thirds of the population is east of the Mississippi. Is there any change in demand, or are the remaining one-third of us that live west of the Mississippi still wanting produce? I mean, every year, you know, as population grows, that's going to automatically increase demand to some extent. But I, I think over the last few years, uh, even before the pandemic, there was kind of a, a focus on healthier eating options. Listen, we live in a country where almost 70% of the population is obese, so we're essentially selling medicine. Uh, I wish more people put a focus on eating more fruits and vegetables. That said, throughout the pandemic, Obviously, people were eating at home more, and there was even more of a focus on, on health and taking care of oneself. And I really hope that that healthy halo extends out to, you know, not just exercise and healthy eating, but it actually turns into a lifestyle that people carry through. Um, and that there's no way that that's not going to positively affect demand for, for what we're doing. You mentioned earlier a shortage of truckers. We've heard that because of the pandemic, as you said, a lot of people retired. A lot of truckers are just aging out. There aren't as many younger people getting into it. Are you seeing any relief on that? I know a lot of the trucking companies are out there trying to hire, um, or is this the new normal? Yeah, depending who you talk to, the, the answer may, lay, uh, may lie with hiring more drivers it seems people within the industry say hiring more drivers is not the issue it's more of a driver retention problem and i think you know with these higher freight rates while a large portion of that is going to diesel cost i hope some more of that money is ending up in the pockets of these drivers and they find a an industry a calling that they want to stick with um, there's been programs at the federal level trying to address this um, however, you know, regulations within the industry, while great in the name of safety, and I don't want to try to uh, undercut that in any way, the reality is there just aren't enough trucks on the road to carry the goods that we're, we need to move. You talk about increased freight rates. We've heard, for example, other industries, it almost becomes a bidding process to get their products shipped, be it on an actual ship or once it arrives at a port to get it moved you know, into the interior of the country. Are you all in the same situation or is this a, a tight, more tightly closed loop? 
the the community down here i'll say the the transportation community uh, is fairly well developed if you will so we have reliable carriers we actually own a few trucks ourselves trying to alleviate some of those pressures but to say that we're not in a trucking deficit it would be a lie so anything that we can do uh, to try to attract more drivers and not just to the industry in general but here to Nogales you know you need specialized refrigerated equipment obviously uh, so it's not just a matter of getting more drivers and getting more trucks you need the right drivers with the right equipment in the right place at the right time again dealing with perishable goods we don't have a whole lot of options for people who don't know this industry is this running 24 hours a day or is it tied to when the ports open and closed and and getting the, the produce into your warehouse and then turn it around get it back out of the warehouse there's a there's a definite pulse to our industry I, I wish I could say on some levels that it were 24 hours a day um, but the the hours at the port definitely impact what we're able to do on this side of the border uh, you know on any given day we have trucks as I mentioned coming from as few as two hours away to you know 18 to 24 hours away um, so we are selling into inventories that have not arrived to our facility yet we're really trying to operate on a, a just-in-time inventory system so you know those delays at the port of entry put a, a, a throw a wrench in the gears if you will and it uh, hinders our ability to sell to move the goods in a timely fashion so while the port may open up early in the morning the vast majority of the product does not reach us until the mid-afternoon at which point in time we're offloading it we're doing our quality checks make sure that it is what we think it is on arrival and then turning around and trying to get it on our customers uh, trucks on an outbound basis you know our sales team will be showing up between 5 30 and 6 in the morning our warehouse guys sometimes won't leave till 2 or 3 in the morning once they've finished uploading that was matt mandel of sunfed a produce company in rio rico and that's the buzz for this week Join us next week as we look at the ramifications of more cuts in Arizona's allocation of Colorado River water and how that could affect the lives and livelihoods of people in southern Arizona. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Zach Ziegler is our producer, Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.